You may be seated and turn back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, as we continue our series here today. Uh, the title will be Overcoming Heart Murder, and uh, this is part two in this section that we're in today, which is verses 21 through 26. So I'll read that text and then we'll pray. Beginning in Matthew 5 and verse 21, this is the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has aught against you, leave there your gift before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge deliver you to the officer and you be cast into prison. Verily I say unto you, you shall by no means come out from there until you have paid the uttermost farthing. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would break cold, hard hearts with your word, that you would heal wounded, broken hearts. And Father, you would change us and transform us to be more like your dear son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last time... Uh, we talked about how beginning this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Christ is correcting some false interpretations and uses of the moral law, the Ten Commandments that we would call them. And he's going to say, I think it's five times, you have heard that it was said of old time, but I say unto you. And he, he repeats that again and again as he's clarifying this teaching here. And uh, one of the things that we learn as we look at this is Christ said, I came to fulfill this law. And Christ did fulfill it in his life. And in Romans 10, 4 tells us that Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to believers. But we also learn that Jesus Christ not only fulfilled the moral law, but he's fulfilling it in you, in time. Romans 8, 4 says that, the righteous, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in you who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And we know that Christ, in the end, on that day, that great day, He will execute judgment against this law, against everyone who is not confessing and a repenting believer. So this law is a spiritual law. It goes beyond just judgments of men that we learned last time. They were saying, if you, if you kill, you're going to go before the judge. Well, that may be true. But the thing that Christ is pointing out, if you kill and you go before a judge and you're unrepentant, you're going to wind up before not just a judge on earth, but you're going to wind up before the judge of all the earth. 
this moral law is still in effect. Christ is showing here that grace does not absolve us from obedience to the moral law. In fact, grace empowers us to be keepers of the moral law. And we use this law to examine our hearts and to continue to grow in grace and holiness. We learned here last time that Christ begins with the sixth commandment. You know, we have to ask our question, why does Christ begin with the sixth commandment? Last time we talked about that. It's because it seems to be that this anger in the heart that comes out the mouth in forms of heart murder and mouth murders of people seems to be one of the biggest problems we have. And as, you, as we go through the New Testament, we'll look at some of those other places today that Christ, Christ, the Holy Spirit, are continuing to teach congregations throughout the New Testament about this issue of anger and strife and division that comes out of the heart. And so we are prone to this, and Christ is here teaching us about the ultimate consequences of not repenting of this and changing of this. So he begins with this sixth commandment. Uh, we spoke last time also about how murder is one of the first things we have recorded in the Bible, right? Cain and Abel. Cain got angry, and then he murdered. Started in his heart with the anger, and then he ends up murdered. Jesus said Satan was the first murderer. He was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And so the seed of the fall that's in our heart is the same. And it's the miracle of grace that transforms us and helps us to flee from that and go in the exact opposite direction, which is reconciliation and worship, which we'll see today. We talked last time about how murder is a striking out at the image of God. Uh, we read, I believe, in Genesis chapter 9, where after Noah comes off the ark and he talks about how if any animal sheds the blood of man, then that animal will be put to death. And it says, for, because that in the image of God made he man. So there's something special and unique about you as a created being and your neighbor. And we are to treat everyone with as much respect and dignity as we can because of who made them. And passing judgment on them with this sinful anger is putting ourselves in God's place and executing judgment upon them in God's place and putting ourselves where we should not be. And that's a grievous sin against not just our neighbor, but against God himself. We cannot worship God if we've got anger and resentment and bitterness in our heart. And that's where the text takes us today. We cannot worship him if we are not at peace with our neighbor. The first four commandments of this moral law are between us and God to be in relationship and at peace with God. And the next six commandments of the moral law are the relationship between us and our neighbor. And if, if we have anything going on with our neighbors, we cannot worship our God. And so we, as much as is possible have to be at peace. And so the end of the message today, as we see, he goes from speaking of murder and, and it, 
saying that the end of murder is just the outward act and judgments in time, he says, he moves to saying, no, for believers, if you've got any kind of anger or conflict in your heart with a brother or sister in the body of Christ, you are to leave that aside. You can't come to worship like that. You have to put that aside and be reconciled first and then come and worship. And so we see that this anger and this heart murder gets in the way of worship. And the end of this is to flee away from that, to deal with it, reconcile it, so that we can worship our Creator. You know, I think every message really has this hope. My hope is that um, that you would so much enjoy being here in worship. You know, that this would be the cream of your week. Wednesday nights, this service, Sunday afternoons. You know, my prayers of pastors, everybody would love this time so much that you wouldn't let anything get in the way of it. Especially anger or resentment. Uh, what, what if there was a place that you could come every week? You know, life is hard, isn't it? I mean, the strifes, the dealing with, the dealing with my own heart, dealing with uh, being tired, being sick. There's a lot of sickness going around. What if there was a place where you could go once a week and you could spend, say, three hours a week in this place at different times during the week and just be completely refreshed in spirit, to have your conscience completely washed and to be filled with so much joy a kind of joy that you know doesn't originate here on earth. You know, you're tasting this, and and that joy helps you realize, you know, I'm going to a place where that is all there is all the time. I mean, what if there was a place like that? Well, this is that place. You know, this is the place where we come to be separated from the deceptions that maybe we've fallen prey to this past week. All of the, our affections that have maybe gotten misplaced this week, that we can come and recalibrate and refocus. And in this message, that's what it's about. It's get, not letting anything come between your heart and God, especially anger, especially anger and resentment. So how are we to do that? Well, first, I want to just go back and revisit the commands. We quickly went over these five imperative verbs last time. Spend a little bit more time there. And then I want to talk about uh, the rest of the connections in the, in the scriptures that where the New Testament is explaining in further detail this sermon of the Lord. And then I want to just talk a little bit about application, particularly looking at Proverbs and the wisdom literature. We have some good practical application about how to deal with anger and what it says there. And then finally, we'll look at the final verse there, 26, which is this, uh, this warning, again, that God gives us, his beloved children. And so first of all, let's just go back and look at these commands again. Five imperative verbs piled one on top another of another here in this verse 24 and the very first word of 25. Five imperative verbs. Think about that. Command piled on top of command after command. Especially since up to this point in the sermon, we've only had two commands. 
So far, what the Lord has been teaching us is he's just been giving us facts about the happiness of those who've been rescued from this kind of anger and hatred. He's talking about blessed are, blessed are. He's telling you that if you are in a state of grace, that you are different from the other people in this world. You're going to be salt and light in this world. And he comes here and in the midst of this and saying, you, you, people have been telling you that thou shalt not kill just means don't go out and murder somebody. He says it's much more than that. It's about what you're doing with your heart, what you're doing with your mind, and what you're doing with your mouth towards other people. And so here we have these imperatives piled one on top of another. Leave. Leave thy gift. Now, in this picture here, Jesus is speaking to those who were going to the temple of worship and taking sacrifices and gifts to the altar. Well, now, how do we apply that? What is the altar now? It's your heart. You know, we sing that song. Don't we love that? Our heart is the altar, your love, the flame. And our heart is to be the place where we sacrifice all of our affections on him. All of our emotions are upon him. And there is a righteous anger. And that righteous anger happens whenever God's dignity is called in question. Or God's word is impugned. Or other image bearing creatures are treated in ways they should not be treated. That's righteous anger. So leave our gift. God will not accept the worship of someone who is pretending to worship when they've had outbursts of anger during the week to one another. He says here, remember, if there's something between you and a brother or sister, a family member, leave. Go thy way. There's urgency here. You must not come before the Holy One who sees all and He knows all. He knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. He knows that sinful anger that may have broken out this past week. And so there's this urgency in all of these commands. Leave. Go thy way. Be reconciled. And that be reconciled means you... You can't come to worship. You've got to go deal with this. I, there, there may be times you come here and you know something's going on and you just got to grab that person and step up and go out in the hall and get it right before you come in here. Or before communion service. We should never go before communion service with something like this going on in a family or between brothers and sisters. These commands are for the believers. It's for the house of God. Be reconciled. That means to change the mind of one. It means to renew the friendship, to change for the sake of the worship of the Father so that our hearts not messed up over here so that we can focus a united heart. Y'all remember, blessed are the pure, the pure heart of those who are born again is a singular heart. It's not a divided heart. An impure heart is a divided heart. A singular heart with a single passion Loving God with all our heart and our neighbor as ourselves. That's the pure heart. Be reconciled as we got to go back and pull that heart back together. Purify that heart. Confess that. Make it right. Be reconciled. And then offer. That's the next command. By all means, 
we need to worship. We need to offer our sacrifice of praise. Isn't that what we've been doing? We've been coming and singing these songs. The wondrous story of Christ who died for me. We're offering our sacrifice of praise. As we sing these songs, they come out of our heart and say, Thank you, God, for rescuing me from these consequences you're talking about. For going to hell for something I said with my tongue. Thank you, Lord, for reconciling me. And so the command, offer, by all means, bring your gift. When you are repentant, when you have confessed, when your neighbor has received that, the end of the commandment is that we come to worship. Again, the sinful anger is when we put ourselves in God's place, being judge, jury, and executioner as God, and making unrighteous judgments with our mind and our emotions get involved and we lash out and we hurt one another. We see this took place in Second Samuel chapter 12 if you want to turn there. Uh, I think this is a great illustration of how anger blinds and sin is blinding. And in Second Samuel in verse chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. So what's going on here? David has been lazy and laying around Jerusalem when he should have been out doing his work. And he cast his eyes where he shouldn't have cast them. And he was overcome with sinful passion. He's committed adultery. And then, in order to try to cover up his sin and justify, he has a man murdered. And it looks like at this point, David is unrepentant. And we see the blinding nature of sin when men will not confess and repent it, when they justify their anger, or their sin. And so sin has a deadening effect, a polluting effect, a contaminating effect that darkens our mind. And if you read Romans 1, you know the end is a reprobate mind for those who are unrepentant. And that there's degradations of judgment. Even like there's councils, there's judgments, and then there's hellfire in our text today. God is merciful that He's sending opposition to you. He's sending people to you. He's sending affliction. He sends sickness. This world, he is sending judgments upon this world. Saying, repent, the day is coming when there will be no space for repentance. And here, God in his mercy, as he does to you and me, sends someone. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men... In one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought up and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and did eat of his own meat, drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter, this sweet little pet that this man had. And there came a traveler 
a rich man, and he spared to take one of his own flocks. He had his whole flock of sheep that he could have taken to eat. But instead of that, he goes to this poor man. He's got this one little pet sheep and takes it. He spared to take his own flock to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Now let me ask you this question right here. Is this righteous anger here? Is this, this is righteous anger here. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. He's thinking pretty clear now, isn't he? And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, and this is where he points the finger. You are the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given you such and such things. Wherefore have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? We despise God's commandment when we make ourselves judge, jury, and executioner, excuse our sins, and justify it, and say, I have done nothing wrong. And of course, God in his mercy sends Nathan, and then David gets it, right? And I think we get it too. The believer will. I mean, when these words come to us, we say, thank you. Thank you, God, for sending me Nathan the prophet. Thank you. Psalm 51.6, I think we see what happened in the sin of David. He became hardened and he became separated from the Spirit of God in the worship. And in his psalm of repentance in Psalm 51 for these sins, he says, and, and like Psalm 51.6, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. He expects us to use the Word and the Holy Spirit. Illuminating it will show us the sin and then we can confess it. In the hidden part, you shall make me to know wisdom. And then in verse 11, he says, Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. David had been separated from the sense, that sense of the presence of God. Because God is everywhere, right? So he can't be taken away. But when we grieve the Holy Spirit through sin, He withdraws His felt presence. And, and we get a, a loving frown that we might be driven to consider our sin. He would go on and say, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David had lost the joy of salvation because this heart murder and lust had caused a Breach in his fellowship. That is what we're talking about today. That breaches in fellowship like this keep us from the joy of worship. And the joy of praising our God. In Isaiah 1, God had said this to Israel. He said, and when you spread forth your hands in Isaiah 1.15, I will hide my eyes from you 
So they're coming. Israel's coming. They're spreading their hands in Isaiah 1.15 to worship. And God says, I will hide my eyes from you. Why? I will hide my eyes from you when you make many prayers. I will not hear. You see, if we've got sin going on in our life, and particularly he goes on here, he says your hands are full of blood. So this was murder. God doesn't hear the prayers of the person who's unrepentant for sinful anger. He says, your hands are full of blood in verse 16 of Isaiah 1. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And he would say that again and again in different places in the Old Testament, saying, you come to me in worship and your hands are full of blood. I'm not going to hear your prayers. God desires obedience more than sacrifice. Right? Isn't that what Samuel told Saul? And that's essentially what David said there in Psalms 51 too. He said God desires truth in the inward part. He desires obedience more than sacrifice. So the end of the commandment is worship or hell. For the believer, the end of the worship is a good, clean conscience, a confessing, repenting life, and a heart on fire for the Christ that washed us from our sins. What about you? What does your week look like? How have you been doing? And controlling your emotions. Secondly, let's take a look at some of the other places where the same thing is being taught and even explained in greater detail about how we are to deal with sinful anger. We have many teachings, uh, some of it's Daniel and uh, Jonathan have been teaching us on this. The same messages we're seeing in 1 John and James. The same thing being taught in Ephesians, Colossians. And one of the things we learn by this is what? We have a propensity towards this. That's why Christ is beginning with the sixth commandment. We're prone to this. And we need help. And so he's given us all the help we need. Holy Scripture, Holy Spirit, preaching, and each other. James 1.19 Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to anger. Nope. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So someone comes to you and they're trying to help you and they tell you something. Wisdom dictates that you be swift to hear and slow to speak. So at first, somebody comes and tells you something. It could be that your initial reaction might be towards the wrong direction. And so that's why you need to hold the tongue and be slow to speak. And slow to anger. 
where the Holy Spirit dwells and where you have been taught this and understand this and you meditate on these texts, you will learn how to do this. You will. You must. And you can. You will be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then in verse 20 there, James 1, For the wrath of man, the anger of man, sinful anger of man, works not the righteousness of God. And then in verse 26, he's going to get into the tongue. And he says, if you can't control your anger and it splashes out in sinful words and you wound other people with your sinful tongue, he said, your religion is vain. You're a hypocrite. Believers will get this under control. They will. Because if you come here to worship and you're going home and behaving that way, that's duplicity, hypocrisy. What we do when we're alone is an indication of whether our hearts have been changed or not. Or what we do when we're with our families is an indication if our hearts have been changed or not. And then in chapter 3 of James, what does he tell us about the tongue? Set on fire of hell. Woo! He gets some powerful words, doesn't he? James there? The tongue was meant to edify. We'll get there in a minute. Let's go ahead and go to 1 John and 3 and verse 8 to see another place where we're being taught that the, the Lord's Sermon on the Mount is like a sword that's going down and he's, he's showing this is what those look like that are blessed and in the kingdom and those that aren't. And John, 1 John 3, 8, is the same sharp sword of the word of God coming down. He's, he that commits sins of the devil. Now, that word commit there means habitually practice. This doesn't mean that the believer is, we occasionally sin or we stumble here and there. This is habitual, hardened practice. He that commits sin is of the devil. So the devil is the murderer and the liar from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was revealed, that he might destroy the works of the devil. He does that and all of his children. His children learn how not to do this. They overcome this. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. They're not involved in the habitual practice. It means we could have an angry outburst occasionally. And we quickly repent of it. We quickly go to those where that's happened and say that we're sorry. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, the seed of the Holy Spirit. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Hallelujah! Isn't that good news? In this, the children of God are revealed and the children of the devil. You see, there is no gray area here. The fruit of our mouth, the fruit of our hearts, how, how we use our emotions and our minds, what we're doing in our body weekly is the proof of whether we be children of God or children of the devil. 
In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever does righteousness, does not righteousness, is not of God. Neither he that loves not his brother. Again, you see, this is in the house of God. This is in the church of Christ. Ephesians 4, Paul dealing with this also. He goes to chapter 4. So Paul in chapter 4, we always have to remember, I know that, you know, as we jump in and use cross-references out of these letters, you know, and this is a letter written to a body of believers about 2,000 years ago. And these were a group, at that time, God had called out at Ephesus to worship together. They were the salt and light in Ephesus. And God was teaching them and helping them to deal with sin problems that they had. And in chapter 4, he's saying, you're not like that anymore. Ephesus was another one of those renowned pagan cities with a big seven wonders of the world temple in Ephesus. And he said, you're not like that anymore. You have not learned Christ, he would say in verse 20 of Ephesians 4. If so be you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former way of living, the old man, the old nature, the first Adam, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Anywhere you see that word deceitful lust, that is a multitude of lust. That's the, the heart that's divided, that's not pure and singular. It's a heart filled with all kinds of lust and ragings, deceitful lust. And so we're to put that off. And it, there is a sense where we're being taught this. This is the eternal word of God that you've got to do this every day. One man say one time, when I wake up in the morning, it's like the devil is sitting on my chest. And I have to pray him off. I have to get up and put off the old clothes and put on the new clothes. Put off the pajamas and put on the clothes. Put off the old man, put on the new man. Sometimes it's helpful to write down on a piece of paper. If you want to get real practical, if you're struggling with anger, you need to write it down. What do I need to put off? What do I need to stop doing? And then what do I replace it with? And put in its place so that I can use my tongue right. And he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We have to be renewed in our mind through the word of God, through the preaching of the word, through meditation and prayer. That we put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak everyone truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one of another. And then dealing with anger. He says, be you angry and sin not. So we are allowed to have righteous anger. But not for long. Because brother, we're so corrupt, that'll turn bad quick. Be you angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You get angry, you got to get over it quick. You got to deal with it. That's the urgency of these verbs that we're dealing with here in this text today. Command. Five commands in a row. This is urgent. You've got to do this quickly. Agree with our adversary quickly. You put on this new man. Be angry and sin not. And then he says, neither give place to who? 
to the devil. The devil who is raging like a roaring lion full of anger and murder and lies and wickedness. If we give place to anger and let this fill us, and you're giving place to the devil. And then he says in verse 29, jump down one here, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And it's in context dealing with anger here. Anger is corrupt communication and it corrupts other people. And provokes them to wrath. We have the, later in the same letter, it says, fathers provoke not your children to anger. If a father comes home angry and is angry at his children in an unjust way, he is going to cause them to get angry and it's going to cause a vicious cycle that can go on for generations. God have mercy. that, And he does have mercy. And this can be overcome. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But what are we to do with our mouth? Unbelievers do that. Believers use this mouth to build each other up, to edify, to minister grace, and grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed in the day of redemption. So this sinful anger grieves God. It grieves Him. And then He would go on there in, in Ephesians and say, Let all bitterness... And wrath, and that's anger. Uh, wrath, uh, an outward anger. Wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another. This is what believers do. We are kind to one another. We are tender hearted. We forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The believer is poor in spirit and when providences or things come our way or even somebody comes to us saying things maybe they're not even true you remember when David has been run out of town by his son Absalom and Shemaiah comes along and he's throwing rocks at David and cursing David and David's military officer says let me go over and take his head off and David says no God has bidden him to curse me. And so David, understanding this is consequence for my sin. i got to endure it. Sometimes the consequence for our sin is that God might bid somebody to come to even curse us unjustly to humiliate us publicly so that we might repent. So that we might repent. So be kind one to another. So we've looked at the commands. Flee, be reconciled. And this is so that we can worship. So that we use our hearts aright. So that we are treating each other as we ought. And we won't let anything come between us and worship. And so now let's go to the wisdom literature and look at some practical application here for a couple minutes. Proverbs 14, 17 as we think about how we work this out in our relationships and all, the Proverbs are these things to feast and to meditate on. And I'll give you a trick. Here's another, some practical things for you. How many Proverbs are there? 31. 
How many days are there in some months? So you could read a proverb a day and go through them all in one month. Uh, if you really want to be ambitious, you can read five psalms a day. Psalm 1, 31, 61, 91, 121, and then Proverbs 1. Six chapters. In one month, you can go all the way through the psalms and the Proverbs. That is the kind of discipline and reading that will help you so that when you get in the situation, as you are saturating your soul and your mind with this wisdom literature, the Holy Spirit is going to give you words to say or not to say. He's going to give you the proverb that says, well, answer a fool or answer not a fool. What do I do in this situation? And then he'll help you with that. Proverbs 14, 17. He that is soon angry deals foolishly. And a man of wicked devices is hated. So what do we learn about that verse? Well, Proverbs, again, the razor's edge. Every, not every proverb, many of the proverbs, the first half is talking about the righteous and the second half is talking about the wicked. Only two groups. And here he's speaking of one who is soon angry. So that means quickly angry, right? A person who doesn't have their spirit under control. They deal foolishly. And a man of wicked devices is hate. A person that's soon angry will be involved in wicked devices or wicked schemes or manipulating people, trying to manipulate them, make them feel sorry for me, or other things, wicked devices. Wisdom will help you with that. Uh, there's a, a Ecclesiastes that is a companion with that one, 7-9. Be not hasty in spirit to be angry. Again, wisdom teaches us don't get angry quickly. If we're prone to being angry quickly, we've got to learn some disciplines. We've got to pray. We've got to fast. We've got to beg God to put that off. And then the next one's Proverbs 22, 24. This is a proverb that the Holy Spirit used in a congregation I was in in Texas to put an angry man out of the church because he was causing strife and division in the church. Proverbs twenty two twenty four: Make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man you shall not go lest you learn his ways and get a snare to your soul. And here we see that what happens when you're in the room with somebody that's angry. Angry is an emotional energy that's very powerful and overwhelming. And it's exhausting. And it's contaminating. And many times what happens, because all of us are prone in that direction, is somebody gets angry in the room and they're raging, it provokes us to respond in like kind, Right? It's not our nature to turn the other cheek, is it? It's our nature to punch back. You take someone and you, you know, we do this demonstration. It's been done before. You take somebody and you set them in a room and you go toward them and you start pushing on them. What do they do? They immediately resist. But if you reach out 
and say, give me your hand and let me show you the way and lead them, they can be willing to go in that direction. So there's a natural propensity we have to resist. And here, this angry man, it says, don't learn his ways. If you're around them, it can be a snare to your soul to fall into the same. It's a contaminating sin. All sins are contaminating, but this one, when it spews out of a furious person, it can be a snare to you. So that's good practical advice. The church, in its wisdom in this situation that I was in back in Texas, put this man out of the church, and, it, and the strife stopped immediately. In Proverbs 29, 22, an angry man stirs up strife and a furious man abounds in transgression. So if anger isn't dealt with, what happens? They get worse and worse. Romans chapter 1, worse and worse. You will notice these Proverbs are connected. It's almost like there was an intelligence behind the order that we've looked at here. From... 14, soon angry. To chapter 22, make no friendship lest you be contaminated. And then finally, you see it gets worse. Proverbs 29, 22, he stirs up strife and he abounds in transgressions and sins. Well, there's many more, but here's a good one to instruct you on how to deal with a person like this. Psalm, Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. I've used that. I'll bet you all have used that. I know moms use it. The kids come in and they're upset and they'll say, now calm down. What did you want to say? What's going on? You know, and a soft answer turns away wrath. So when you have a calm spirit and you have yourself under control, then you can help others. So a soft answer turns away wrath. In Proverbs 16.32, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that rules his spirit than he that takes a city. What's that saying? That's saying those that are slow to anger are better than a great warrior that conquers a city. I read a book about the Battle of Stalingrad in World War II a couple of years ago. And the Battle of Stalingrad from the 23rd of August, 1942, to the 2nd of February, 1943, five months through the winter months, there were over a million casualties, not to mention the loss in assets, where Hitler was trying to take Stalingrad because it was on the river where all the supplies flowed. And all of that loss, one million souls, and the city wasn't even taken. That proverb is saying there, you know how difficult it is to control your anger? You realize what skill it takes to take a city in military battle? It takes skill. It takes learning. It takes practice. And the person that can control themselves and their anger is greater than a great warrior. So these admonitions and instructions are for the children living in community. We already had in Romans 12 also. So it says, recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things 
honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. It's not going to be possible to live at peace with everyone. Now, mostly in the church, I think it will be. Outside, not so much. It's not always going to be possible. In fact, what has Christ already told us in the first part of the sermon? Blessed are you when people revile you and speak evil of you for no reason other than that the light of Christ is shining in your life. And so as we live like this, it's it's going to provoke resistance. We went through that. So as much as is possible... We heap coals of fire on their head by giving them a drink of cold water. We're nice to them when they're wicked to us. How can we do that? Because we understand they're made in God's image. We understand the end of their sin is eternal torment and that life is short. And we can have pity on them and say, you know, I was once just like that. And God changed me. And I understand now where they're headed. So I can have mercy on them. Jesus from the cross said, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what's coming. We can have that same mercy. So brothers and sisters, we need to sweep our side of the street. You ever heard that before? So you got a street. You got two sides of the street. This is my side. That's my neighbor's side. If I got problems, I try to deal with them. I try to reconcile I do everything I can as possible. I sweep my side of the street. But if they will not reconcile, if they will not listen, then you can't do anything about that. You do the best you can. And then you leave it in the hands of God and you pray for them. You pray for them. Brothers and sisters, murder is serious, isn't it? In 2022, there were over 4,000 homicides in the United States. I think Chicago, there were almost 700 murders in 2022. Wonder how many heart murders. Wonder how many angry words where hearts were wounded that we don't have statistics for. But we know that this anger in the heart got bad enough in 2022 that it broke out and over 4,000 people being murdered. And as I was thinking on that and meditating on that and reading Romans chapter 1, you know in Romans 1 it says that the wicked even take pleasure in other people's murders. You know what that made me start thinking about? Uh, There's a whole bunch of movies that are coming out right now where there is murder after murder after murder after murder and I was thinking if I sit and watch that and take pleasure in that is that not what Romans 1 is saying so the sixth commandment brothers and sisters is one of our biggest problems causing disunity in our families and our congregations we have all this great teaching of the Lord we know that the believer doesn't want anything to come between his Lord and him And that he will put those things aside. And he will agree quickly. And he will listen to this loving warning that we finish with today. Verily I say unto you, you shall by no means come out till you have paid the last farthing. So here 
He's saying, agree with your adversary quickly while you are in the way. You know, I think in verse 25 and 6 here, that Christ is speaking about you're in the way of life right now. You need to agree with your adversary. If you're a believer, you understand that you were at enmity with God. That God was your adversary. adversary. But through Christ, we now can be reconciled to this judge that would deliver us to the officer and cast into prison. We now, we are given this warning. Brothers and sisters, this can't be in your life. Get it out. Get help. Deal with it. Because if you don't, if you don't, you will go in to the eternal prison where you will stay until you have paid the uttermost farthing. That's the fraction of a penny, by the way. A fraction of a penny. And we can't even pay that. We can't even pay that. We must give ourselves entirely to making things right, to wishing one well, to being of a peaceable spirit. Let us listen to Luke 13. Let me get this and then we'll close. Let us listen to this. Y'all know how many... Y'all read about the deal in Hawaii, right? There was a fire that swept through Hawaii and... Around 100 people were killed. I don't think they know, honestly. They keep changing the numbers, justifying the numbers, and the propaganda machine will even cover up deaths, you know, to try to make things look better at times and, and then increase them at other times to try to make a political opponent look worse. But in Luke 13, there was some natural disasters that had happened. Uh, and there was at that present time, at that season, some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So Pilate went in and slaughtered some Galileans while they were sacrificing. And then there was also a tower that had fallen on some people and killed them. And Jesus says, do you think that those Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things. So do you think those hundred souls in Hawaii, the reason why this providence happened to them is just because they were worse sinners than you are? You know, we see Christian politicians stand up and say stuff like that. Jesus says, I tell you no. Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Eighteen souls, the tower fell. Except, So what's our response when we see something like that happen? We repent. What's our response when we hear a message like this? We repent. Because the next thing Jesus says, He says there's a certain man had a fig tree planted in a vineyard and came and sought fruit thereon and found none. And so He says that the vine dresser cut it down. The vine dresser says, No, let's... Water it and fertilize it and give it another year. And if it bears fruit, well, if not, then cut it down. There's a sense, brothers and sisters, Jesus is telling us every time we come to a message 
He's watering us and fertilizing us so that we might stop having sinful anger in our hearts and using our tongue wrong. The children will hear the warnings and obey them. So, brothers and sisters, I hope that there's a sense that we can't let anything come between each other because that will get in the way of our worship and our relationship with the Father. When we've tasted the beauty of holiness and it empties our soul, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, the first thing God does is He empties us out of ourself of being in the center of making these kinds of judgments where we get angry sinful and where we justify it and say, for whatever reason, we justify it. When we've tasted the beauty of holiness, we will not let anything come between. Nothing between. We sing that song, right? I pray that we would fear the Lord in a holy way and the children will hear these warnings. You see, there is an angry God and there had to be something done about that angry God. And now if you're under the blood, God's no longer angry with you. Ever. Your sins, all the sins that you will ever commit are, are forgiven. Past, present, and future in Christ. If you're walking in the Spirit. Confessing and repenting. Jesus Christ was the propitiation. Now that's an old word, but let me tell you the beauty of that word. That word propitiation, whereby we read in uh, Romans chapter 3, it said, God sent forth His Son to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. God poured out His anger, eternal anger, that was meant for all of God's elect fell upon Jesus Christ, the elect one. And that propitiation wasn't an, an appeasing of God's anger, a placating, a putting away. In the old temple, there was the Ark of the Covenant that had the Ten Commandments in it. Y'all remember that? And there was the mercy seat that covered it. It was called a propitiatory cover, propitiatory cover. And the blood would be sprinkled on that because the only thing between us and the perfect execution of those Ten Commandments in that covenant is the blood that was sprinkled on it. Jesus Christ, blood. And that propitiation of Jesus Christ for us put away the wrath of God so that we can change we can learn how to use our tongues right we can be who we are children of God and the fruit over time will prove whether we are or not so let me just give you this great encouragement believer in Psalms 103 9 he will not always chide Neither will he keep his anger forever. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's put away, Jesus Christ who put away that wrath on us so that we can put it away between each other and we can live now in reconciliation with neighbor and our Father. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would bless that message to your heart and that you would think about that in Christ's name. 
And uh, if you have anything you need to deal with with other people, then go do it quickly. 